the Gitsan do this dance and song where they're pulling together all this energy that dis- disrupts and distorts. They're pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, asking all the people to help. And then they get someone to open the door and they throw all that energy out the door. And really, that's what it was like. I watched that energy leave the, the leave us as a family. And it was incredibly powerful. My name is Marcus Peter Rempel, and uh, it's my my privilege and my honor to welcome you once again to the Return of the Buffalo podcast. Um, my friend and uh, and co-conspirator Henry McKay isn't with us today. He um, and probably won't be uh, going forward. He's he's just gotten busy doing the work, and uh, he's he's with a drum group today, as as far as I know. So. Blessings, blessings to you and and your drummers, Henry. Um, I uh, I had the the pleasure of sitting down uh, virtually, of course, uh, uh, with with Patricia June Vickers, who is um, just an incredible person, uh, an artist, a therapist, uh, a teacher, um, a survivor of of significant trauma herself. Uh, daughter of uh, of a Methodist missionary teacher um, who uh, went with with some uh, with some prejudices uh, to an Anglican indigenous community on the west coast uh, of British Columbia, um, but uh, but opened herself in in uh, in curiosity and and relationship to the people and really became one of the people and and began a family that that Patricia comes out of um, and a family that that experienced um, some some uh, some real significant troubles um, this is a a trigger warning folks uh, Patricia is the survivor of uh, of childhood sexual abuse uh, that happened in her family, um, and so uh, if that's uh, if that's triggering for you, just just be warned that that that's uh, that's some of the territory we're going to travel together today in her story. Um, but really, uh, we're traveling with someone who has has done the work and and done the healing. Uh, and and brings a lot of courage and wisdom and and real hope uh, to to all of us uh, as it relates to that that story um, and and share some really interesting uh, experiences uh, with uh, cutting edge clinical tools as well as very traditional methods of healing and uh, yeah I think I think you're I I just kept wanting to ask her more and more questions and. And uh, finally, she said, "I think we're done now." Um, and uh, and uh, I'm yeah, I'm grateful for that that rich conversation that we had. So, uh, without further ado, um, here's Patricia June Vickers. Good to see you again, and and thanks for making time for for sitting with me in the Return of the Buffalo podcast here. Um, I'm sorry Henry can't join us. He sends us his best wishes, and he's I think he's drumming with some guys right now. Oh. Um, so he's Lovely. he's doing the work. Yeah, yeah. Patricia, you you actually were for a time. 
Do I have this correct? You were a uh, keeper of the learning circle uh, for a time at Sandy Soto. Was that the position that you had? Yes. Yeah. Yes, I was. Yeah. And and when was that and how long was that? That would have been the fall of 2014 to the spring of 2015. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you coming for some walks on the land here where I'm at at Plowshares Community Farm. Erica Young, one of our farm mates, was already working there, and I think she had you over. And uh, yeah, I just, I remember you as a kind of a friendly face, uh, and, and I knew you were doing something interesting over there. Um, and then, and then you, you uh, were called away from that position to, do I have this right, this title right, Director of Mental Wellness for the BC First Nations Health Authority? Yes, I I was the clinical director for uh, mental health and wellness for the province. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so I think Sandy Soto was was sad to see you go, but what really excited for that for that opportunity for you. And I understand it now you are about to retire or you've just retired. I was uh, 13 months with um, Skidigit Health Center uh, working on founding a pathway, a healing pathway for addressing intergenerational trauma and sexual abuse. So, so I've, I've moved into consulting and, and private practice. I've returned to it actually. I'm curious just as, uh, as you look back on what you were able to do with with the local health authority, that's that's a an interesting and and powerful role. Just what what comes to mind as you're as you look back on that? Well, I'm just thinking before we move along any further. I I want to say I want to say that I'm currently living on the territory of my great grandfather Amos Collinson, who was Haida. And he had a daughter, Kathleen. He married a Timsian woman from the village of Kirkhatla. And Kathleen is my father's mother. And she married Henry Vickers, who was Heltzik. So on my father's side, I am Heltzik, Timsian, and Haida. Basically, I've said I'm from the village of Gidkatla because my mother, who was an English woman and went to Gidkatla as a teacher, she was trained as a missionary through Prairie Bible Institute, but she went to be the teacher in Gidkatla in the federal day school. She was adopted by an eagle chief, Samoyget Gilaskamech, and because we're matriarchal, that adoption mm. happened so that we mm. would all have a place in in Zimsian society. So mm. that's the reason why I've said, even though I'm more Hiltzik than anything else, um, that's why I've said I'm from Gidkatla is because my mother was adopted by that community. Mm. So so those are, are my roots and how I am connected to people in three different nations. Hmm. Well, and I and I thank you for for um, for reminding me of of proper protocol and and good manners in a conversation such as this. You've I kind of launched in with probably a more colonial kind of question about your career and your uh, uh, and you're reminding me um, of of good manners in terms of talking about who our people are and where we come from as a way of beginning. A conversation, and and I think, I think this way is a human way, mm. um, and and not just in, you know, if we look at First Nations, it's an indigenous way because we're all indigenous to some land somewhere. Yeah, and um, yes, and also from my mother as a missionary, she brought to me uh, a way of. I think inquiry more than anything because mm. she, when she went into Gidikatla, she said she didn't realize she was conditioned to mm. discriminate. And she said, when first of all, 
uh, to discriminate by seeing the Church of England as as inferior to um, to her, I want to say, denomination denominational way of of looking at Christ and being in this world, and what she discovered was they they weren't inferior at all. She was conditioned to believe that she was going into a village where they were savages. And in the 40s, they'd already translated the common book of prayer into mm. some aliyah, which is the Tzimtzian language, as well as um, the hymns. There was an orchestra established, and they were uh, playing, it, it, um, trained by their own people and because our people are everywhere, our musical people, we have songs for everything. And um, mm. so she was really surprised by that, the discipline and the music. She wasn't expecting that either. So she, uh, I, I think that she has given me a way to be curious and to inquire and that I've really just stepped into that in the last four years because mm. uh, complex PTSD has really um, been a disability for me. And, mm. um, and so going through neurofeedback and through excellent, excellent counseling methodologies for PTSD, I've, I've, I would say recovered these parts of my soul and I'm, I'm beginning to find out who I truly am, not mm. who I was told who I am or mm. um, not the, the me that I thought I needed to present to the world to be accepted mm. and respected. So, mm. yes. Well, I, I want to, I want to talk and ask you you about some of that journey of of healing with PTSD. Maybe maybe before we even get into that, I feel like I should maybe reciprocate the proper manners and and just acknowledge my own place where I'm standing and speaking from in this conversation. So, um, my feet touched the earth today at a place called Plowshares Community Farm uh, in. Uh, a bend of the Broken Head River, the same the same river that uh, the Sandy Soto Spiritual Center is on, um, and uh, I come from the tribe of the Mennonites. Uh, all all my grandparents, I think this is true. It might not be true of my grandmother, but I think all otherwise they were all born in in the on the steppes of of southern Ukraine. Um, and uh, my, my mom's mother, I think she may have been born just after the family uh, moved to uh, southern Manitoba. Um, and so, so I, come, I come from my own really tribal people who have had a long history of, of speaking our own language and singing our own songs and, and teaching our own children uh, according to our own ways uh, in our own communities. And um, and someone who who was really uh, an elder who helped me uh, connect with indigenous communities was was a man named Menno Weeb who I'm I'm remembering especially this year because he he passed away this earlier this spring, um, and uh, was someone who. Uh, uh, connected with, uh, significantly with folks up north, all across the country, really through uh, a lot of what was through, uh, there was, he had an activist side, he engaged very seriously with, with uh, the Lubicon Cree in Alberta and their struggle with the incursions of development there, uh, hydro development here in Manitoba, um, and the damages there, um, but also through gardening, um, and that was um, the the one the one time in my life I've ever been in British Columbia. Uh, I was in Doig River, uh, north of Fort St. John, 
doing a, a community gardening project with Danaza people uh, under under Menno's supervision. Um, and that was that was the first time I I sat with people in the circle and and drummed. Um, that's where I I received a drum that I still carry today. Um, the first time I worked on a hide, I think, with with folks, um, was was connected with Menno, and and that really began a story uh, that continues to this day in terms of. Um, finding my my way into connections with indigenous people um, who are on a healing journey and who are I think helping helping me discover um, some of the possibilities that we all missed out on when we uh, when you know particularly my European ancestors arrived here and didn't listen very well uh, to the wisdom uh, and and the the good manners uh, that were here, uh, and the and the and the ways the beautiful ways of praying and connecting with spirit, um, and uh, yeah, so it's inter- it's one of the things that I think um, you know in your story it's the 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 connection with an English missionary mother. Um, uh, as as part of that story and uh, and really uh, um, like a deep like I get the sense of deep integration um, that that is in in your story in terms of you know your relationship to your mother your relationship to your father even the way that and it's not just your relationship like it, you there's a whole there's a whole society that made your mother part of the society found a place for her in that society. And, and, and it sounds like her ability to be curious and open and respectful created some really interesting possibilities. Um, so thanks, thanks for, for sharing a bit of that. Um, where would you, where would you like, like I, we could talk about complex PTSD and neural feedback and, and some of, some of that part of your story, but where would you like to take the the conversation from here? Well, I think maybe a a good next place would be how I connected with Sandy Soto uh, Spiritual Center. Mm -hmm. So um, so I was was employed by the United Church as the native minister uh, for BC. And I, one of the first things I did is I am from the Northern region. And so I began to inquire into the relationship between Indigenous people and non-Indigenous people. And as well, I was looking at those Indigenous people who were students at Vancouver School of Theology and had mentors. Mm. And I wanted to know how that was going. And so I had four questions that I asked the Indigenous communities, uh, their their congregations, and the non-Indigenous. Same four questions. I wrote their answers out on chart paper. And basically, the, the results were that the those who were being mentored didn't have the support that they felt they needed and wanted. Mm. And that the uh, village congregations um, didn't, they felt isolated and not a part of um, the presbytery, the Northern Presbytery. And then the non-Indigenous congregations basically said, well, we don't really have the connection that we used to have with our neighbors. So they were both saying the same thing. And as I was as I was learning this, I was feeling quite angry that that there's this presentation that everything is is good and fine. Uh, and mm. then when you actually get down to the ground and you begin to inquire, you find out that everything's not good and fine. And so what what happened was I was fired, and it was the 
mainly from what I knew, it was the indigenous leaders that they had reached a conclusion that I was a troublemaker and I was a bridge burner. And I found out later that they'd made the decision to fire me before they even consulted with the um, with the congr- with these churches in the presbytery. Mm. They they basically had the meeting and they told them that I was fired, and mm. without consulting me, without asking me, without any kind of dialogue or discussion, a decision was made, and that was it. And so this impacted because I was going to be working half time with uh, the uh, BC conference and half time with Sandy Soto Spiritual Center. And then mm. this this happened. And so um, a part of what happens in every system and organization is when someone is labeled, then it's actually slander. Then conclusions are made about this person's character. And when uh, an interview was all set up, I was things were going to move ahead, and then they canceled it. And so I was talking with Adrian, and I said, this really isn't right. There are conclusions mm. and decisions being made about who I am. There's no dialogue with me whatsoever. I've been fired and fired wrongfully. And so I wrote a letter to the... Um, to um, well, it was Maggie. Maggie, um, oh, I can't remember her name, but she was the. Uh, I was going to say Hodgson, but it's not Maggie Hodgson. She's involved in another area in Indigenous work. Yeah. But um, at any rate, uh, so Sandy Soto Center basically they agreed and they hired me. So that was how I came into the center. Wow. I know. It, you kind it of was, came in under some stormy, <laughs> some I did. stormy weather. I did. But you know, the, the, what, what I found was that those in the center and Adrian as a leader, they were willing to listen and they were willing mm. to give me feedback. And so for me, that's what the center represents is a, a willingness to sit down and work something out. So um, so I'll always be grateful to Adrian and to the board that they made the decision not to accept the conclusions about who I was. Mm. So that's how I stepped in to the center with, with um, deep gratitude. I was also deeply hurt. And mm. um, and it's taken me some time to learn the lessons from that, you know, mm. for it all just to settle and not to have the, so I can talk about it without blaming anyone, without anger, without resentment. These are just facts. So, right. yes. And so then what, what do we do when, when we are believers in Christ and believers in the teachings of Christ? When something has not been in line with his teachings, then, then how do we make it right? Because that's a part of our whole way on the coast, and I think throughout North America, when there's a wrongdoing that's happened, then, the, then we have a responsibility. If I'm the one who's done it, I have the responsibility to make it right. So that happens with fasting, that happens with prayer, that happens with consultation, that happens with my tribe and my tribe's um, uh, guidance and um, direction to me. Uh, it happens with mentors who, who aren't about taking sides, are concluding no discrimination, no judgment, no criticism, just following the good teachings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I wonder, like, I, I think I've, I'm hearing echoes there uh, that I've heard from other Indigenous people uh, about journeys of forgiveness and, and right-making of relationships. And, 
And I think in some ways, you know, the particular package that we brought of, of the gospel that we brought over from, from Europe, you know, in some ways, uh, there's been, you know, a tradition that's maybe it's, there's, there's, there's a lot of thoroughness in thinking about the rules of how to be a good person. Um, and then there's, and then there's, uh, uh, this, this, this story of grace that's very powerful. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, there's the forgiveness is one thing, but like making relationships right, uh, and and paying attention to you know how one rebalances things there's there's a there's a kind of thin version of grace that says oh we don't have to think about that like we just forgive and and move on and 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 i i think there's a thoroughness and a carefulness in in uh that i've that i've sensed more from indigenous there's a, it feels like there's a thicker tradition there almost in terms of like how do we do the work of making relationships right? Uh, yes, I think it's the how-to. There's protocol and process for sure. And just as, as you were talking, I was thinking of um, the Good Samaritan. And so there it, it wasn't the Samaritan that injured this person. And it's the Samaritan who helps him. He didn't yeah. cause the suffering, but he was there to help the suffering with the suffering. So, um, so I think of that and I think of um, something that's been really powerful in my life, uh, starting in my teen years, was the Holy Eucharist. And hmm. that um, before we're to partake in what I would say uh, something that's magic, hmm. it, it is that um, we, we're, we're to admit to ourselves and to God, the wrongdoing that we've done. And we don't partake in that, that sacred sacrament, unless we've made things right. Mm -hmm. So, so it's, it is actually really clear, uh, not only within scriptures, um, but also within the different denominations around the uh, Holy Eucharist. So, yeah. so we do, we do have clear teachings on how to make it right. It's that it's not practiced. Yeah. I remember my, my mother had a story about that of our, our people having a particular practice uh, that her, her, her mother told her about. You would, the Mennonites wouldn't have communion weekly. They would have it maybe once a year. Um, uh and and making your relationships right was actually a big part of the preparation and so what a person if if you and i had had some trouble with each other you know i would send over to your house i would send a jar of borscht um and and if you sent that jar back empty and clean then i would know that you and i were okay and we could we could do communion together but if you sent it back full that meant oh Patricia and I have some work to do before we can do communion together. And, and the community wouldn't celebrate communion basically until everybody could sh eat everybody's borscht. <laughs> yeah. And that needs to happen more than once a year. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that needs to happen every week. <laughs> Cause it's not just the, you know, it's not just the major wrongdoings that we acknowledge. It's mm -hmm. all the, also the little ones, like that I got so angry because you did this or you did that. Right. Yeah. You know, it's also those that I need to be um, looking at inside of myself. Yeah. So, yeah. Hmm. So we're talking about uh, one of the great sacraments of the Christian church. And and that's and its role in right making of relationships and and healing. Um, one of the things uh, that's so rich in when I when I uh, listen to your story is is the freedom I sense in you to uh, 
to move uh, back and forth between a number of traditions and their their ways of healing. Um, clinical ways of healing, traditional indigenous ceremonial ways of healing. Um, yeah, in that, like, if we if we open that door, where would you like to go there? Uh, well, why don't we start with the um, the family program that you told me about that I'd proposed when I was an employee? I think that. Yeah. Be, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, so as I understand it, Patricia, um, the the germination really of the doing healing work with families on the land at Sandy Soto. Uh, if I have it right, that conversation began with you and you kind of instigating that conversation significantly uh, when you were the keeper of the learning circle at, at Sandy Soto. Um, I just, I would just love to hear that, that story. Okay. What's the name of the program again now? That's, uh, we received the, the name Return of the Buffalo. Oh, great. Yeah. For the families, healing in the families. For the, yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is, is also significant for me, even though the sweat lodge and the pipe and, um, well, those two in particular are not our cleansing ways and are not our prayer ways. Um, I've, I've personally adopted them. And um, it's my oldest brother, Roy. I have four brothers and one sister. And my oldest brother, Roy, had asked me to join him in the sweat lodge tradition, which led me into fasting and also teachings mm. of the pipe. So, so return of the buffalo also has significant meaning for me. Mm. Um, as a, as a, well, first of all, I want to say, um, just as a two-legged, that healing in the family has been a, a priority, starting with myself as a mother with four children. So back when my daughter daughters were three and seven, I found out that my father had been sexually abusing them. And that mm. I my apologies, I should have, you know, said disclosed that I would be. Um, speaking to some things that might be upsetting for some of the listeners and mm. um, and to please uh, hopefully everyone who is listening if it does trigger them they have uh, therapeutic support like counseling support um, so I, I found out that uh, my father was sexually abusing my daughters and so uh, um I learned about the Meadows Treatment Center in Wickenburg, Arizona. And in 1991, uh, just two years later, after the disclosure, we, we were there as a family. And my children, my oldest son, who's now 41, he was 11 at the time, he confronted me about the ways that I had neglected and abused him. Uh, as yeah. a child, and he was magnificent. So I had uh, a great deal of rage um, because I was constantly faced with powerlessness. And as an incest survivor, parenting was extremely difficult for me. Mm -hmm. When when I came to those times of powerlessness, I really didn't have the ability to self-regulate. I didn't know how to do it. And um, so there were times when I was verbally abusive and um, I spanked them. And after I went through treatment, uh, the spanking stopped. And, mm. uh, but it took a long time to address, uh, more than address, to begin to understand where the rage was rooted. So uh, going through that, treatment program with my children and then just a year later my brother Roy went through and during his family week our parents were there 
and all but one sibling. So uh, during the family week, we were all asked, what do you want for healing for your family? And I said, I want all the secrets out. And being a younger one, second to the youngest. And so it was from Monday to Thursday of all of this incest and sexual abuse. And my mother uh, crushed because she was ignorant of everything that was happening in the home. And um, But by Friday, I remember quite clearly all of this shame energy. Uh, the Gitsan do this uh, dance and song where they're pulling together all this energy that dis disrupts and distorts. They're pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, pulling it, asking all the people to help. And then they get someone to open the door and they throw all that energy out the door. And really, mm. that's what it was like. I watched that energy leave, the, the, leave us as a family. And it was incredibly, a miracle. it was, it was incredibly powerful. And my oldest brother and I have continued to work on our relationship and we're very, we're very close. We're good friends. And it's happening with my other siblings. It's a slow process, but it is happening. And I'm grateful for that. So with that as part of my history, I said, yes, it's the families really that that need the help i think about all i wanted to know when i was a young mother and there was no one to teach me and so i was stuck in this cyclic existence of not knowing how to really now i would say to self regulate not knowing how to heal from the horrors and the torture that I went through and survived as a child. So um, that's why I, I said when I was with Sandy Soto, you really need to focus on the family because now I'm a grandmother of nine. And, mm. um, and so any chance I have to work with young parents, I want to give to them what I didn't know. Hmm. Yeah. That's that's beautiful. That's powerful. I I think that that uh you know the blessing of of your own hope and your own courage uh to do that kind of work uh in a place like Sandy Soto. You know without me even knowing that story like I I just I can feel the the carry through uh of, of that into the, the work that, that has begun there. And, uh, and I wonder, I, I've like return of the Buffalo still feels like it's very much still under construction. Um, and, uh, and we've, we've, in some ways we've danced with a, a number of different dance partners, different, different agencies, different first nations, different communities, and each, each dance partner has kind of implied a somewhat different role for us. Um, and, and I think we're still, we're still figuring out, you know, what our place is, you know, the child welfare system is a pretty, it's a pretty complex ecosystem. Um, and I've, I've heard you, um, I'm thinking of some things, some input that you gave to uh, a conversation that was around the, the architecture of a new new building that's being dreamed of at Sandy Soto. And I, I've heard you talk about uh, a vision for the kind of work that could be done uh, at a place like Sandy Soto that could be very special and, and is maybe not, not happening in quite the way, you know, that is possible maybe anywhere in Canada yet. Um, I'd love I'd love for you to describe what what you imagine when when I I've heard you say that sort of thing. Uh, thank you for for that that invitation. Uh, here on Haida Gwaii, uh Well, first I want to say that um, that I lived with dissociative amnesia for 
most of my life. And I was in therapy with a family member. And that person had disclosed that they'd sexually abused me uh, 10 times more <clears throat> than what I could remember. And I was shocked and went to my physician and said, how could this be? How can I not remember? And he said, you have dissociative amnesia. I'll refer you to a psychiatrist. And that was in 2007. And uh, the psychiatrist did EMDR on me. And, and I mm. say did it on me because there was no kind of preparatory work that they do now where they, because a, a person splits when there's that much abuse. And so you want to be sure to have all the parts together in a sacred circle which wasn't done mm. and so mm. when the memory it cut for me it came in pieces and then there was the whole memory and I was shocked and I didn't want to know mm. anymore because it was horrible and uh, so it took me quite some time um, so 20 for folks uh, yeah for folks that don't know what EMDR is could you just yeah, they work. Give a kind of sketch of the technique. Like, what is that? Definitely, what does they for? work what does with mean? either the eyes, where you're um, following now rather than the hand. They have a light, a light, hmm. a bar that has uh, lights that go back and forth, and so it's this eye movement, rapid eye movement that you're doing. Or else, if the eye, it doesn't work for your eyes, then it's auditory, and you put on headphones, and the sound is going back and forth. It is not hypnosis. What it does is it disrupts the brain's functioning, and all you really need is uh, your your with your mind to to um, set the intention to remember to recall. And so because there are no filters to the brain through the eyes mm. and the ears, that's why we can be triggered like that because mm. there aren't the filters um, through, through access to the brain through eyes or ears. So that's EMDR. And um, I, I, it was just and so it helps you remember and then also reprocess in some way no, the experience. No, 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 just remember. No, yeah, it's just recalling. So it gives you pieces, and then there's the full memory that you access. So it's it's about accessing this memory in the brain. That's what you're doing. You're accessing it because it's all perfectly stored in the brain. But um, mm. with dissociation, you don't have access to it. I can. Right. I wanted to remember, and I was unable to remember. So, yeah. so it's about interrupting the brain's functioning. And um, I imagine so that, that could be pretty scary to suddenly. Of course, of course. The, the gates, the, the floodgates open. Well, you have access to to facts that you've yeah. um, that in order to survive, you've been denied access to so um so i started with emdr and then before sandy soto uh, um very close to a nervous breakdown because i've been mm. working in this in this field with indigenous people for a long time and um and i took some time off and then slowly my, made my way back and then a second time in 2017 close to another nervous breakdown and I knew it was because of dissociative amnesia and that I really did have to do this healing work so I was with FNHA and they supported me on going on short-term disability and for two months with um, psychologists who were also colleagues Steve Milstein and Ulrich Lanius I did the neurofeedback and uh, low emission. Um, and describe that. What, what does that mean, neural feedback? Yeah, low emission neurofeedback system lens is um, you have one EEG sensor and, um, and one um, reference point. So what happens is a low emission is 
put through the EEG sensor. And what it does is it's less than your cell phone. It disrupts the brain's functioning. So similar to EMDR, only this is neuro, which is also biofeedback. It's just the brain. So, um, so I, I went through that and uh, Ulrich, he did the sacred circle. He said, you, you know, you have these parts. I said, yes, you know, it's a psychotherapist. And the parts are really about these significant times when you were neglected or abused. So if that happened throughout your childhood where you experienced neglect or abuse, then you have all these parts that we'll say in, in Indigenous terms where these parts of you have been lost and are stuck in these geographical places. So it's mm-hmm. about calling them into the circle and letting them know I'm going to do this and you're safe. So um, it was a, a powerful experience and I retrieved a great deal of memory. So this mm-hmm. neurofeedback with um, what the majority of Indigenous people suffer and live with um, is, is really an important method for helping to heal from complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And here on Haida Gwaii, I, I um, with Ruth Lanius, she's a psychiatrist in Ontario. She supervised me doing a research study. It's uh, alpha down where you, it, there's no, it's not like lens where there's an emission into the brain, a low frequency. Instead, you're putting the sensor into this spot in the, on the scalp, which is called PZ, and you're training so the brain. The back of the head. Yeah, yep. and you're, train, you're putting a Muse 2 headband on using MindLift, and you have an iPad, you have your own account. And just by playing a game with your brain, not your hands, not touching the iPad, mm. Okay. When, oh, yeah. Yeah, when your brain goes into the alpha waves, which is between 12 and 8 megahertz per second, if it's in that range, then you get points. Okay, I've, he- I've heard <laughs> about this, but I've, I've never sort of seen a picture of it. Yes, so, um, and the brain when it's... So really- by thinking in a certain way or getting yourself nope. into a certain state? No, thinking is the nope, mind. Or, or it's not Think- about thinking, it's about... Thinking is the mind. This is about the organ of the brain, which which was what people were confusing constantly is between the two. But but of course, our thinking does impact our brain functioning. Yeah. So you you learned somehow to get yourself into the state where your brain was generating these alpha waves. It, it's training your brain into the alpha waves through rewarding. So rather than mm discouragement and punishment it's through reward that the brain's learning yeah so the results were people were sleeping better they were calmer um in conflict they were more focused uh the the results were really amazing and Mm. the risk is that as we relax then those things that were maybe unconsciously repressing the memories from childhood they're going to arise and so that's the risk and but the other thing that happens is people were remembering beautiful resources from childhood like Mm. um like going to the stream and picking up all these tadpoles in their hands and feeling what they felt like and Mm. then another memory of being with grandmother when she's come out mm. of the smokehouse and she's giving you a hug and you can smell the smoke that's smoking the fish on her apron. So mm. there were these really wonderful memories as well. And that's the thing about growing up with abuse and terror. They're not only the horrible, horrible things, there are also these miraculous magic things 
and they're they're interwoven in our in our history in our life's history so it's to um eventually uh i can't remember the word you used but um i think you said reprocessing uh, yeah when when what what we're working towards is integrating so what does this mean what what does this mean that i suffered this horrible horrible abuse from my grandmother who mentally and emotionally was abusive to me what does this mean and and soon people come to realize well what did she suffer mm people don't just do this they right. begin to realize that through conditioning their brain is learning to relax so through conditioning what have i learned so you know we're not using that we're not yet using neurofeedback and i think this might be the second neurofeedback study in north america in an indigenous mm. population there's also um deep brain reorienting a method that's been developed by psychiatrist um Corrigan Frank Corrigan in the UK and he's presenting at the Boston Trauma Conference this year on deep brain reorienting so there are these methods to get to the deeper layers of trauma that were not pulling together to to serve our people yet and you, you know and that's my interest then there's the prison population you know there's yeah. FASD there's there's so many areas where where we can begin to to um connect our people with ceremony the land based ceremony with traditional medicines teas you know you mentioned borscht at these foods that <laughs> that you know connect us to our grandparents and 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 maybe some goodness there or somebody who was good that fed us this food and um so the land and the and ceremony and then these uh, neuroscience ways of of healing and um our spiritual teachings and practices our cleansing ways mm-hmm. uh, to bring them all together i think all together yeah. yeah it's 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 um i think one of the things that's most exciting to me and what attracts me to doing uh work with indigenous folks is that there is there is a kind of uh a freedom and a conviction that uh that we don't have to splice and dice the spiritual from the scientific um the traditional from the clinical uh etc cetera, etc cetera. there's 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 more of a sense that that everything belongs and and uh, and that this this fragmentation that you know is really the result of religious arguments that uh i think i think in some ways europeans tried to uh arrive at a certain peace with one another by saying we're just we're not going to argue about those things in these places you know well like spirituality will be something that people do on sunday mornings unto themselves and and we'll keep it in those boxes um and and medicine will be something else uh you know psychology will be something else and we'll we'll kind of keep things tidy by keeping things in separate boxes um which and, is a whole uh, a whole other discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one's a different well, discussion. One question, yeah, well one question I have like with like in in your research study like who was it you yourself who was helping people do the work of of integrating and meaning making uh coming out of the the memories that they were gaining greater access to like it seems to me that there's you need some kind of skilled helper uh and I'm interested in your thoughts about how one trains skilled helpers for the kind of work you're talking about well we do it for ourselves first don't we you know um uh you know and I think with creator's help 
I, I do it for myself first. And mm. um, not that it's complete. In a sense, it is complete. And in another sense, it's not. So, um, so it's for myself first. And, and then it's, it's in relationship with others. So, um, and I think that's probably the most important thing is, is, is knowing I'm a part of a tribe. And um, it's, it's a tribe of people who believe in magic and who believe that Christ was a master shapeshifter. That, um, mm -hmm. that his teachings are, are really about um, being fed by ravens in the wilderness, uh, about uh, walking on water, about pulling the tax owed from the mouth of a fish. I mean, <laughs> there are things mm. that somehow are overlooked, you know, but that that this is a part of my heritage only because I believe, you know. Um, so uh, I, I, I think that really that everything um, comes first from creator and our interconnectedness comes from creator and we are interconnected that it's a part of our teachings all of our teachings and the interconnectedness isn't just between humans it's between humans because creator spoke and all that i'm looking at came into being which means i'm i'm connected with creator's voice that's in physical form so so our interconnectedness is on a spiritual realm first, and then there's this physical realm where you and I are speaking through this, you know, cyberspace, and you're in a land there that you're connected with, and I'm in a land here that I'm connected with. So, you know, we have this, and it's, it's an important part of what it is that we're doing. Hmm. I, it's a very rich and like deeply interconnected vision of healing. And, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think about, um, the work, the work we're doing with families these days, uh, like if if we were i guess i guess we're also talking about these tools and i'm thinking about like how how would if we were if we were going to you know begin to uh try to make those opportunities uh available to families uh that might spend some time with us at the center like like what would you know what would that look like how would we, how would we begin to sort of put the building blocks for for that kind of possibility uh, into place. Yeah, well, we always do that starting with cleansing, don't we? Mm. And, and with communing, communion. And we, we do it by lifting it up to Creator and asking Creator, what, where do we go? Knowing that, mm. knowing that the pathway is already there. And um, so I, I personally, even though I have ideas on how to do that and I have experience in what works, it's, it's different every place. And we always mm. start in that way first and then we go from there mm. through dialogue. Mm. Thank you for, for that final answer. I think that's like, like deferring, like rather than... Uh, imposing a particular program you know what i'm hearing from you is that 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 your your awareness and your trust and your experience of like seeking the path that creator has for a particular people in a particular place uh and and doing that with intention and ceremony and deep listening and that's 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 the advice you're 
you're giving. You're not saying, here's my certified neural feedback <laughs> seminar that I'm going to sell you now. Uh, I, yeah, I really appreciate the, 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 the humility and the wisdom of saying, listen to the creator for what creator is, you know, the path that the creator has for you where you are. And I think, I think each of our listeners can, can hear that speaking to their own hearts and their own situation, wherever they are. And, and I, I think you've just given us a lot of gifts that, that will land with people wherever they are in different ways. And, and those, those seeds will, will take root in, in good ways that we can't even predict or manage and would, shouldn't even try to. So thank you for that, that wisdom, for that humility and, and, and for sharing your story with us. I just really appreciate it. And, and I appreciate the time. Mm. I, I'd, I'd like to end, I know I said it at the beginning, but again, um, to end by say, saying thank you, especially to Adrian Jacobs and to the board mm -hmm. of Sandy Soda mm -hmm. Center and my prayers for blessings on each one and their families and um, uh, on each employee that you all be united and your interconnectedness will bring about good fruit. Mm, thank you for that. That means a lot. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Have a good day. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.